Hey, it's Drex from This Week Health Cyber and Risk Community, and I want to invite you to our next webinar. It's going to focus on what else? Defending health data. I'll be chatting with experts from Rubrik and Microsoft. Register right now at thisweekhealth.com slash rubric webinar. That's all one string, R-U-B-R-I-K webinar, thisweekhealth.com slash rubric webinar. See you online soon. Today on This Week Health, we named our project the Joy of Medicine project. We did not name it Ambient Intelligence. We named it as a program because Ambient Intelligence may be the first line of bucket that may help it. The second may be the in-basket messaging. The third may be the right triage from the ER. So we launched the program of returning the joy of medicine exactly for Thanks for joining us on this keynote episode, a This Week Health conference show. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a set of channels dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. For five years, we've been making podcasts that amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. Special thanks to our keynote show partners, CDW, Rubrik, Sectra, and Trellix for choosing to invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to our show. All right, here we are from the health conference, and we're going to do a keynote episode, a little different for our interviews in action, a little longer, because we have Ashish Atreja, the CIO, CDO? CDHO, yes. At uh, UC Davis. A big conference for you guys. That session yesterday on AI was, was exceptional, and then you had some announcements coming out of it. I assume we'll talk about that somewhat. The, we have all these booths behind us. It, AI sort of hovers over the whole thing, doesn't it? I mean, every, everybody you talk to is, we're doing AI, we're doing, so basically valid AI stuff even more important to talk about. And then I just, I want to talk to you about the industry and what's going on. Let's start with yesterday, a lot of big news around AI. What What's valid AI about and what are we trying to accomplish? Yeah, I think one of the key things we are seeing is I'm a physician by background as a gastroenterologist. I was in Manhattan as eight months on my chief innovation officer. And the story starts like in one of the 200 gastroenterologists in Manhattan, but we never felt we were competing because we were going to the same association and learning the best from each other. Then we used to bring back that best tools or techniques back to our patients. But if you bring to innovation world, that doesn't happen. As suddenly as it comes to innovation, we put our blinders on we put everything under IP or potential IP, and we don't share. So what is happening is in this innovation and transformation space, every healthcare organization has to do its own journey completely siloed from what other person is doing. So repeating the mistakes of each other, we are spending resources, which we could have been preciously saved. We're trying to figure out the way integrations, workflows, all on our own alone. And that is an inefficiency that we can't afford anymore in the fiscal environment. So, so part of with generative AI, suddenly we are very unique. I truly think generative AI is a watershed. It's, if it was taking six years to get a good quality programmer to program something, it's now take six days to do it, right? Suddenly it's giving the power to the hands of all consumers and it's creating a problem of plenty because so many solutions are gonna come to us already started coming that we can't evaluate at all. It's also creating a problem of plenty because they're coming so fast, we do not know how to do security for them, how to do compliance for them. Is it really ethical, right? Where is the intellectual property? So, so there are major problems that are happening, but our 
teams are not increasing in the same size. No, we can't. As the marketplace is increasing, right? Yeah, we, can, we can't afford it, right? So our growth is linear, while the solution market is getting exponential. So, and no single organization has that width, resources, or skills to do it. So when I moved from Monsanto to University of California, one of the things that attracted me is all the UC health systems are one legal entity. And we work together in campuses in that regard. And there's this concept of open innovation by Henry Kempsford in UC Berkeley, which says that if we really want to do transformational stuff, you have to look at all the things that are happening outside and all the things that are happening inside your organization. Because no single organization controls the knowledge, skills, or resources. And you have to combine the two together and partner as much outside as inside. So the UC Health System started partnering on generative AI. And what we are doing through Valid AI is opening that up to the entire world. And the Valid actually stands for vision, alignment, learning, implementation, and dissemination. So that's our program, which we do internally, and now collectively as UC, we'll be working with 30 health systems we announced yesterday as founding partners and health plan and technology partners. 30 partners. It's interesting because I'm thinking academic medical centers, I'm thinking UC. You guys have a lot of patents, a lot of research that goes on in those kind of things. Took that roadblock of really wanting to take advantage of your intellectual property, take advantage of those kind of things. How does Valid AI must enable that because you have some very strong systems that are going to create IP around AI, but they're still participating in this. That is correct. And then that's what's amazing is under the open innovation, we truly believe we can create more value by collaborating. But there will yeah. be areas where you, 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 you say, okay, now we're going to take this, we're, we're going to develop a product. Ab absolutely. So our first goal was to get the foundation ready of the provider health systems. We have 30 health systems nearly across all U.S. states. We have three global partners. In the next three months, we are opening up technology partners. So we'll be announcing in December in Node Health Conference, our technology partners. We already have all the major tech vendors signed up at the cloud one. So we are seeing two, three streams. If it is about organizational structure, it's about the use cases, it's, we can share that openly because that's a common thing that we can share. But when it goes to implementation science or some specific products, we may have limitation because either it's a vendor product from outside and then we have constraints around that, or the collective health systems may decide to have a new product being launched. So at least the learning can be common, the organizational structure and the governance framework, how we want to do and the security and others can be common and shared openly. But when it comes to some specific products, it can be open or can be more limited based on the intellectual property rights. So we already partnered with Berkeley Skydeck, which is eager to actually launch an accelerator within this once we are ready in that regard. We're talking with five or six venture groups which already approached us to say they will love to fund companies which are co-incubated by multiple health system and health plans together. So we're creating a foundational layer of trust and understanding and everything that we learn is open but we want to have certain health systems who have some IP, not just UC, but others as well, or a vendor who has IP, they will announce that beforehand, I will carve out a place for them in that place. Well, I, I saw Mayo there yesterday. I mean, there's some serious players, and I'm not gonna ask you to name all 30. Yeah. You probably could. It's public here, but I'm happy to name some. Yeah, I would, yeah, share some. Yeah, so one of the groups where ROS is, 
if the real goal for generative AI is to democratize AI, it is up to us to democratize not just when we look at digital inclusion as individual, the, the digital inclusion also needs to go to organization and states and countries. What I mean by that is, we didn't want to be limited to an academic centers alone. We know they have bigger research arms, they can do a lot of IP generation. A lot of care is provided by our community partners. A lot of care is provided by FQHCs. We did not want to actually augment the digital divide. So we've been very intentional in having a very diverse portfolio of the partners. And these are founding partners. We'll be opening up regular membership later on. Anyone can join as an open innovation. So we have all the five UCs as a collective along with UC Office of President signing on this. So that includes UC San Diego, UC Irvine, UC Riverside, UCLA and UCSF along with UC Davis. We have leading uh, academic health systems like Vanderbilt, we have Michigan Medicine, we have New York Presbyterian, many of those Auschner leading academic health systems. We have major integrated delivery networks like Common Spirit Health, which covers a large portion of the hospital chain in that regard. We have some very special practices like FQHC and Boudic, like urology practice of Virginia, which serves a lot, one million patients in OBGYN in that area, but it's not like a typical IDN. Uh, but that's a patient voice or a physician voice that brings to the table. One of the presentations yesterday, I, was it was it that group, the woman who was on the panel? I that is correct. I, I thought her presentation was compelling because she made the case that access is being hindered. We don't have enough people to deliver this care in this market. We have to implement these technologies, but there, we know there's risks associated with these technologies. We need to move fast. But in order to move fast, we need resources, we need learning, and that shared learning, as you say, democratize the, the learning across the environment so that we can move forward faster. And That's she right. was painting it as a, this is a, a critical moment in healthcare, like we're going to see solutions that are going to have to step in, fill this gap, this void of clinicians, clinician change. Right. Very true. And I think what Jack GPT has shown on the consumer side, this is what is possible. That's like the peak of the hype cycle of Bartner. But we really have to bring the second peak of Bartner, which is transformation. We have to get through that disillusionment. That is correct. Over there, yeah. and, and, the and the way to do that is creating the implementation science of it, creating the playbook of it, creating how we use technology in what use case in an ethical manner, in an equitable manner to create the biggest impact. We have to do a lot of learning. And this independent practice will not have resources of a chief compliance officer, chief legal officer, what you see me have to write a policy, right, to do all those deliberations. But if that is being done and we can share that in open innovation, they can just adapt that and move faster on that data. It's interesting that need is almost more huge at rural healthcare, FQHC, it's those organizations, and they may or may not have the resources. They are going to rely on this kind of information, they're also going to rely on their, their vendor partners, right? They're going to lean on their HR providers and say, go ahead and implement something in an imprint. So how is Valid AI going to help with that? I mean, there's going to be every one of these partners out here yes. is implementing something. And we're talking about transparency, we're talking about equity, we're talking about all those things. How are we going to measure all this stuff for those characteristics? Yeah, so we're using the same framework that we have used for evidence-based medicine. EDM has been taught to us in our medical school. So through Node Health Association, we expanded that to say EBDM, evidence-based digital medicine. 
Now we're going to be expanding on that. So basically, if we put science at the center, then everything works out. What we have to create is great operational efficiency of making that happen. Can we have people, when they claim something, put a form, simple form, and say what they're claiming? How are they claiming that? Are the papers they have published, are the data they have shared? So let the owners be a little bit on the vendors to not just say things, but actually prove with a little bit of value there. And we'll have an independent group of people and we'll partner with organizations. So we have already partnered with Coalition of Healthcare AI, we're partnering with NodeHealth, we're partnering with other associations. So we have a good body to look at the literature and say, yes, they meet that threshold that you can trust, or they are not yet ready, but it's great to do a sandbox testing, right? So FDA is not gonna take all of that's happening in generative AI and have a regulation on that, right? The government is still making some of the rules. Now FDA may put some guardrails around it, but some of the guardrails we have to put in our organization capacity, right? So our goal is to, instead of making it an inefficient ecosystem where every vendor is talking to every health system right now, and that's why there's a problem of lengthy and decision paralysis. Because if I'm being pitched on ambient intelligence by 20 different vendors, I cannot even get time to do a demo with that over the next 20 weeks with my team. So by the time I really implement it, so I'm one year behind. And I may still not make the right decision because I'm doing it alone. Versus completely going collective in that approach, if any vendor has already, any of health system has already gone through that process, they share their assessment during the evidence. So we're creating a much more efficient collective to help in that. It was interesting yesterday, John Lott was on one of the panels. He mentioned, here's a, here's an eloquent way of describing things and whatnot, but he, you say, no physician is running up to him and saying, we need AI, we need, and it's the age old, they're not asking for the technology, they're asking for solutions that is to problems. What kind of problem sets are we seeing AI be applied to right now versus what are the kind of things that we're looking at going? We believe that's possible, but that's probably a little ways off. Yeah, great question. And I think what John, great mentor, is, is alluding to is we really need to anchor ourselves not to marketplace first approach. What's in the marketplace? Oh, I like this goodie, let me get it. To actually a problem-centered design thinking approach. What are my biggest challenges from physician side, patient side, and others? And then find the right fit there. Right, so they gave some very compelling examples. I did a presentation to National Cancer Care Network today, I'm part of that. There are at least 50 different use cases, and some people say there are 100 use cases they're exploring. So part of the deliberation is, so we're working on a model with the done on health metrics, where we can say is the impact on funds, impact on patient experience, physician experience, or patient out safety. So we need to have a framework first in place to evaluate the solutions. That's the one thing, or the use cases. But once you do that, it's the x-axis and y-axis, how to evaluate the use cases. One is straightforward value, which could be on return on health by pillars. There's also a feasibility, because you may have something that is amazing, but that may be feasible in five years and may not get immediate value. So if you draw that, and Gartner has a model called Prism model, so you have to put value and feasibility, which is technical and operational excellence then you can bubble up the right use cases. So if you use that framework, which we are using at UC Davis, the things that are coming, I will say no-brainer, which I would say within two years, majority of the health system should be getting, or would be there, is AI scrying. 
ambient intelligence. That's a great example of generative AI. So it's not just that I'm talking to a patient and then I'm doing a dragon later on and then editing that. I'm talking to the patient like I'm talking to you about. Like a patient wants a physician to be talking to them. We're bringing back what EHR took us away from. There are so many solutions in that space right now. It used to be nuance and then M mode, especially were the two solutions. And now you have there, there's yeah. ambience, there's a bridge, they see me pop up all over. Now what I'm finding with those solutions is they're ready for the outpatient setting, but the inpatient setting is still gonna take a little bit of time to get right. So we're still tied to the old solutions until because the workflow's different, right? That's the right. specialties are different, those kinds of things. And that's an example of outpatient, hey, we're good to go. Let's go to town. And the beautiful thing of that is the price point has come. Yeah way down. Yeah. But I heard that the biggest problem was scaling that, that an AI scribe kind of solution was it wasn't AI before. It was essentially outsourcing scribe yes. somewhere else. Now it's true That's AI technology. And so we're seeing the price about past third almost. Yeah, yeah. And that's the promise. The promise is hey, we couldn't when I talked to CIOs they said, hey, I, I can't scale this across my health system. I can only afford it for this third of our yes. positions. Now, in theory, as it's third in price, we're getting across yeah, the board. And the technical feasibility, that's exactly a great example of value was always there, but the feasibility did not move higher on that regard. Now from our financial and technical feasibility with generative AI, it's moving right into that seat spot. It becomes the top. That's the number one use case, I believe, for majority, because which cannot impact patient experience, patient access, if it cannot take care of the workforce which is something. Gotta get rid of Java time. That's correct, that's correct. So on a similar note, other technologies are screening in basket messages from, because once we open a patient portal, a patient can ask any question or uh, any, and that comes to the physician in uncompensated time, the pajama time after they're done with the work. That is a major barrier or a major factor in physician fatigue and burnout as well. So you can automate some of that by putting a generative AI, which can say this question is simple, if you need to make an appointment, this is the link to make an appointment, right? So, and you can automatically triage to nurses based on the question that's asked. So, so you can actually take care of a lot of the burden from that part. So again, clinical exchange on the ambient side, doing the workflow integration from the in-basket messaging, you're decreasing the burden. And Epic already has launched this as a module. UC San Diego, our partner site, was one of the first ones at Stanford to actually launch that. So now, we take that evidence of how it is working. Now the evidence for ambient intelligence is very clear. Around 25% productivity comfort, around two hours saved. Now you can take some of those two hours saved in a day in an outpatient setting to really have the physicians being relaxed and some of that can increase the output as well. well I'm encouraged by the advancement, the ambient. We were trying to create rooms, these specialized rooms and cameras outfit them with all sorts of stuff. And now, that almost all of it is based on your phone. You come in, you get the can I, yeah, feel free to record. Then the phone goes down, and you're essentially, it's, a, it's an interact. Our phone is recording this yeah. right now. It's, it's yeah. the same interaction. Exactly. It's a lot of eye contact. It's not the, the old thing. And I've heard people talk about returning the joy to medicine. And this is why people got into medicine. Look at somebody. Yeah, help them, serve them, and have help them get healthy. Yeah, it's a really exciting time. In fact, we named our project 
the Joy of Medicine project. We did not name it Ambient Intelligence. Oh, interesting. We named it as a program because Ambient Intelligence may be the first line of bucket that may help it. The second may be the in-basket messaging. The third may be the right triage from the ER. So we launched the program of returning the Joy of Medicine exactly first. So we had Chris Longhurst on our recent webinar, and, and Mike Pfeffer was on as well. Yes. And they were talking about the inbox. I want to direct this conversation to physician adoption. Because it was interesting, the conversations, I mean, Chris is doing a lot of research. He got yes. some funding to do the research and published papers and peer-reviewed studies, which is needed, much necessary. I, I forget which one talked about it, but they said 25% of the physicians are like, this is great. Like, I'm not even touching the note. It's fantastic the way it works. But they still have 50% come in there, and their immediate reaction is delete it and start over. Is it just going to take time for physicians to get comfortable with this and get comfortable and just more swings to bat, more uses of it? And then yeah. they go, yeah, this is pretty accurate. I'm going to check it, but it's pretty accurate. Yeah. So we call this a great example of the journey from innovation to transformation. What happens, we say this is possible. But the transformation really requires implementation science. So we are now getting into deeper into implementation science of creating maximum value from ambient intelligence. And to be honest, Bill, I don't know the perfect answer where it'll add. Is 90% ambient intelligence perfect? Or maybe 50% people who need it get it. And the reason for that is you have many specialities who have got so much better in asking pointed questions because it's orthopedics or whatever the specialties are. And they have their smart phrases and the smart template. And for them, the improvement may be a fraction, 5-10% improvement. And some practices like internal medicine, for example, which are mostly on multiple symptoms, social demographics, and all kind of stuff, may get much more benefit because they don't have that much structure or smart phrases that we got. So I do feel based on the practice you are doing. And what kind of position, maybe if you're very fast in typing, and it's easy for you just to type and smart phrase, you will be done with a note in 10 minutes, and you are so comfortable because you're doing it so many times. Initially, it may be inefficient for you to change it, but you are just comfortable doing it, right? So, so one of the things that is known from this implementation science, which is great to share across this network, like Validea is, and these implementation science are not published on the paper. People publish on the impact, but not nitty-gritty details, is which speciality is the best one to go like? Do we buy the license for entire physician group, or we buy the license for FTE, for physicians who want to take it. And if we really look further, maybe we are leaning towards having, if physicians want to use it, great. If they don't, that's fine too. If the technology is really of value to them, we'll share enough details for them, they can decide now or next year, right? So let it be a poll. This is a fascinating technology. It's amazing to me how many use cases I've already seen. Starting with some health systems, I interviewed a smaller health system last week, and by layering AI technologies, and we forget, we've been using AI technology quite some but you layer OCR, NLP, you layer RPA, and then you, the natural language generative AI on yeah. top of it. But one of the things that was fascinating to me is they, they kept talking about, we've unlocked the 80% of the data that's unstructured. Like, we're making sense of it. When a fax comes in, it automatically goes through OCR, it automatically goes through various layers, and then it says, now this information needs to be put in these places. 
And those are deterministic AI models, IT yeah. people. We trust them more because we can validate them more. But I'm getting off track. But unlocking that 80% of the data. As a clinician, that's got to excite you in terms of the ability to get a complete picture of the patient you're sitting across. And that's really made possible. We would have to put an army of people on that versus technology stepping in and doing that. That has to be an exciting moment. It is. And I think part of it is just to explain, and there was a great discussion in the panel yesterday, this concept of hybrid AI. Many times, and Ken Harris was mentioning from AWS, when people talk about generative AI, sometimes the use case actually can be solved by the already existing the traditional AI. And, and many use cases will actually take combination. Really make things happen, usually the combination of OCR with NLP and the generative AI. So many of the medical decision making, I'm a gastroenterologist background, the very good guidelines and rules are written. That's what is our thinking and that's why in many things it is. So we still need a way to, a better way, to have the rule-based system, like clinical decision supports in some way, combined with the generative AI. And I think it's coming in that regard. You can have structured thing you trust at 100%, but then you have generative AI. What generative AI is great at is summarizing from this multi-dimensional data, whether it's text, PDF scan, because even if a patient comes to me, I have 20 minutes, I may not have time within 20 minutes to actually look at the document repository, which is in PDF or the outside labs. And that may be a key piece of information that may change my decision making, right? So many times the unstructured data is there, but it is logged in a certain way that we are splitting ourselves to make decisions based on structured data. Well, it is social determinants of health, many times, right? A case manager may write something about it, but I have zero visibility on that or not time enough to do that. So generative AI can create a summary of all those things right in front of me and make me to allow their decisions, which is amazing. Think of it from research perspective. Uh, I was just in the cancer world just talking about the generative AI. They talk about clinical trial matching. The clinical trial matching in my world in inflammatory bowel disease and in cancer is limited by structured data because a lot of the things how to recruit a patient to a clinical trial is not in medication or labs, but in free text node or in genomics labs. Now you can completely unlock that. And you can have a patient who's, you can actually have a very good, not 100%, but better than 50%, I accuracy to say this person likely will be a good fit for this trial. We can reach out. I think it's just, are you covering many things we want to do for many years, but never know how to close that gap? Now it's coming there. Well, I don't usually do this, but what's top five for you? What do you want to talk about? Curious. So I think we launched Valeria yesterday. We got coverage, we have 30 health systems. My first goal is to get every state in US covered. I, I saw the map, but a lot of it's covered. So it's, it's, what is so interesting is Maine was not covered. We just didn't get a chance. As soon as we launched it, we got a lead. Yeah, no, they never says, hey, I want to be in Maine house, I want to be in COVID. So that's great. It's a full thing. I think part of it is we have such a unique opportunity to really transform care that we could not have ever imagined in medical school. And care goes beyond just the medical care, it's at-home care as well. Right. The need for health, truly. And we have a unique opportunity to do it in the most equitable manner and do the science of genetic AI. So while there's so much excitement, just do it. Just implement it and we'll learn from it. If we do it together like a science, 
will create a structure which will be a legacy, like which will stay the test of time. Each one of us can build on each other. And, and through that, everyone will get involved. What you're describing is what I think everybody's feeling is this is a moment at the 229 project. And I will ask, still one, one meeting, why are we talking about this? 10 meeting, this is going to change things. I asked CISOs the last time we were together, but CIOs I'll ask. And 90% will say 10. If you could give me a higher number, I'd give you a higher number because we're seeing, we're, we're able to do things. This is the phrase I've been saying to people. The promise of meaningful use is finally being realized. That's it's been a long time, but we've digitized all this stuff. So we weren't able to get value out of it. We got value out of it, but it was locked in a lot of different areas. Now we're able to make use of that. And, and my central message would be, don't be dependent on any one technologist or engineer or one company or something. My urge is, unlike EHRs, when technology went far ahead and the clinicians were lagging behind, we were force-fitting because we couldn't take part in designing that solutions for us. This is our opportunity. Nurses, physicians, everyone in healthcare, startups, to actually become co-creators. We need to be co-creating solutions because we know the implementation science and what's barrier for us. We should not be just sitting and saying, let the best solution come, and that should take us from zero to 100% right there. We should be sitting with them, co-creating, co-designing, teaching value, and then sharing that knowledge. It's moment for us. She's always great to catch up. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. I love the chance to have these conversations. I think if I were a CIO today, I would have every team member listen to a show like this one. I believe it's conference level value every week. If you want to support This Week Health, tell someone about our channels. That would really benefit us. We have a mission of getting our content into as many hands as possible. And if you're listening to it, hopefully you find value. And if you could tell somebody else about it, it helps us to achieve our mission. We have two channels. We have the conference channel, which you're listening to, and This Week Health Newsroom. Check them out today. You can find them wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast. You get the picture. We are everywhere. We want to thank our keynote partners, CDW, Rubrik, Sectra, and Trellix, who invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. Thank you.